Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Today's episode of Wine and Dime is sponsored by Rooted Planning Group, a fee-only financial planning firm that believes life is about events, supported by your dollars and cents. And we want to help you achieve your goals. Hop on over to www.rootedpg.com to learn more about the services. Every week, it's my goal to share financial information that helps you in both your life and financial vineyard. We hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft your delicious life. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Hi, Wine and Dime listeners, Amy Irvine here, and this is Welcome to March. And March is one of those months that we think of is the tax traffic month. It is very busy for us for taxes, as I'm sure it is for many of you putting your taxes together. So we're going to try to make this as educational as possible and all about the 1040 return, which is what most people file uh, for tax returns unless you're a small business. And we're going to start out by looking at the 1040 on the what we call the front side, which is the front page of the 1040. But before we get there, and this is actually a five-part series, just so you know, so it's going to be a lot of fun, right? But before we get there, I want to uh, tell you about a winery that we, my husband and I, visited when we were out in Oregon last year. And this is moving on to a different region of the United States as I venture out and um, do my around the world uh, tasting with my taste buds for wines this year. So last month I did Prejean when I was talking about insurance. This month I'm going to focus on Pudding River. Pudding River was, as I mentioned, a winery out in Oregon that my husband and I visited when we were out there last fall. Absolutely wonderful place to go visit. If you're ever out there, don't hesitate to uh, stop by there. It's a cute little winery. Loved the seating. It was very enjoyable. We were lucky enough to be able to meet the winemaker, the owner, just delightful people. They're actually located... Um, Gosh, it was on a back road in this beautiful old barn that was there. And um, not to go on and on and on, but just to just to say that if you ever get a chance, they're in Salem, Oregon. They're just a delightful place to go visit. And I would start out by one of my favorite wines, which is a Malbec from the Walla Walla Valley grapes. So even though the winery is in Salem, Oregon... The grapes actually came from the Walla Walla region, Walla Walla Valley region. Give it a try. Go out to their website, puddingriver.com. Better yet, go visit them out in Oregon. And with that being said, I'll move right on to 
I'm sure they're going to love to know that we're talking about taxes when uh, we're promoting their wine, but I'll move right into the 1040 for 2022. Have you ever really sat down and looked at the 1040? I mean, truly looked at the 1040 just to know a sense of, you know, what is on that form? What kind of information is actually being looked at? Well, of course, it starts out with asking what your filing status is. There's four filing statuses listed at the top of the return. One is single, pretty obvious what that means, single. One is married filing jointly. Okay, so I'm married and I'm filing with my spouse. One is married filing separately. Another one is head of household. Now that one can be a little tricky. So I'm going to come back to that one in just a moment. And then the other one is qualified surviving spouse. So qualified surviving spouse means that your husband or wife has passed away and you are the surviving spouse and you get to claim that and get an additional year of married filing jointly tax benefit. One of the questions that we often get is if you've lived apart from your spouse, can you claim head of household even if you weren't separate, even if you weren't legally separated? And the IRS actually has a really good website that you can go out to and and just you can even just Google it and it'll come up. And they specifically said one of the questions that they list out there is, is if I lived apart from my spouse from July 10th to December 31st, but wasn't legally separated from my spouse under a decree of divorce or separated maintenance at the end of the year, may I file head of household? Will my filing status allow me to claim a credit for the childcare expense and the earned income tax credit if I have a qualifying child? And the answer is no, you would not file head of household because you weren't legally separated from your spouse or considered unmarried at the end of the tax year. To be considered unmarried at the end of the tax year, your spouse may not be a member of your household during the last six months of the tax year, and you must meet other requirements. It goes on to say the your filing status for the year will be either married filing separate or married filing jointly in this situation. So if you have that situation, you may want to ask somebody if you would qualify for a married filing separate, married filing joint, or head of household. And that's just the first line. Moving into the second area, it's get your typical information, your name, your social security number, your address, all of that good stuff. The question sometimes is, which address did you use? If you relocated throughout the course of the year, then you should use the address that was that you last lived at. Don't forget to update that if you did move. It also asks you this year about digital assets. That's front and center. At any time during 2022, did you receive as a reward, award, or payment of property or services, or sell, exchange, gift, or otherwise dispose of digital assets or financial interest in digital assets? So it asks you that question, and it's just a yes or no. They want to know if you had any involvement in digital assets. From there, it goes on to say, can you pick take the standard deduction or which standard deduction should you take? Again, it goes, can someone claim you as a dependent? And if so, it's going to remove the standard deduction. Or as the spouse, as the spouse itemizes on a separate return, or you were a dual 
status alien. Oh my goodness. So this is under standard deduction. Some, and if you, if someone can claim you as a dependent, then you will not be able to take the standard deduction. Then it asks if you had any blindness or if anybody in your house, if either of you, if it's married filing jointly, or if you single were born before January 2nd, 1958. If you answer either of those, then you will actually get an additional standard deduction. Under that section or after that section, you then list any dependents. Now, dependents can be either your children or qualified dependents. So we've had situations where grandparents have taken custody of their grandchildren or where your child is beyond the normal age for dependent, but it considered a qualified dependent because you need to continue taking care of them or they still live in your household and they're not earning enough to qualify for their own tax return or at own tax deduction. So then we actually get into the questions around income. Now on the 1040, there are 15 types of income listed as high level categories. And some of these you can dig really deeply into. I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking through the high level categories that are listed there. And I shouldn't say there is 15. There's actually only nine, but there's 15 lines on the front of that 1040. So the total amount from uh, W-2. Now your W, and this is box one of your W-2. Many people will say, well, I earn more than what's on my W-2. And that's typically true if you have any kind of retirement plan, any kind of um, medical benefits, anything that's pre-tax. What goes on line one is after those pre-tax deductions, but before any tax withholding. So social security doesn't get doesn't reduce your uh, gross income. Federal and state don't re- reduce your uh, gross income. It's just your deferrals into like your 401k, 403b, 457, or qualified health-related programs. And then when it comes to household employee wages not reported on a W-2, that's going to be if you were a household employee and you did not receive a W-2, you need to report your income on line 1B. Also, tips not reported on line 1A and your wages need to be reported on the 1040. That goes on line 1C. If you received a Medicaid waiver payment not reported on forms W-2, then you need to report that in line 1D. And if you receive taxable dependent care benefits from form 2441, that gets moved up to line 1E. Any employer provided adoption benefits would be carried forward from line eight, from uh, form 8839 onto line 1F. And wages from forms 8919 would be carried forward to line 1G. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into what some of these other forms are, but you can see the humor and where I'm coming from on this act tax return. If nothing else is if you got some income, other earned income, and none of the other income lines qualify, that's where you can throw it on 1H, other earned income. Line 1I is non-taxable compound pay um, election. So you can actually elect to have some of your combat pay uh, made non-taxable. 
If you are in the military and you think that you will qualify, please work with a specialist on this. You should have somebody on base that can talk you through that particular election. Now we get to the total earned income line. So add all of those up and it's line 1Z. I know what happened from line I to Z, but line 1Z totals all of that income up. And then the next section gets into what we would consider a little bit of passive and retirement income. So line 2A wants you to put your tax-exempt interest in box 2A, but then your taxable interest in box 2B. So you have to report it even though it wasn't taxable. You still need to report that information. And that might be because if you're subject to AMT, it might get added back in. So we have to report it to the IRS. Line three asks for qualified dividends in box 3A and then ordinary dividends in box 3B. So you have to report, again, both qualified dividends and ordinary dividends. Box 4A is asking for IRA distributions. Now you may take a distribution, but you may end up rolling it over, or it may have a basis that is lower than the actual taxable amount of the distribution. Maybe you put money in after tax. And so that IRA may, the taxable amount and the distribution may not be the same. Line four is asking for, or excuse me, line five is asking for pensions and annuities. And again, you may find that a portion of your pension is one thing, but the taxable portion is different. So again, you may have received $10,000, but only $9,500 is taxable. Then you get into line 6A and B. That is social security benefits. And the taxability of social security benefits is very dependent upon how much you actually, I know I say that word a lot, how much you've actually have earned throughout um, the year. And one of the things that, I mean, I could get into the nitty gritty of some of that, but again, up to 85% of your social security could be taxed So if you received $10,000, $8,500 of that could fall into the taxable amount. It could also be somewhere between zero and 50%. So the taxability of your social security depends on a lot of other factors and they call it, you know, provisional income plus social security or plus. So half of your social security plus your other income will equal provisional income. And if your provisional income is over a certain amount, then it will be taxed. And when it starts getting taxed, 50% to 50% to 85% of your social security can be could be thrown on that taxable line. Uh, line 6C asks if you've taken, uh, if you elect to use lump sum election method, check here. So it's asking about a distribution that you've taken and you, if you're looking to take it as a lump sum election. That means you pay all the tax up front, right? And then in the long run, you may take a lower or have a lower amount tax to you. Line 7 gets into capital gains and capital gain distributions. So capital gains are something when you sell a security, you if you sold it for a gain, you have to pay tax on that gain. So if I bought a stock for $10 and I sold it for $30, I've got to pay tax on that $20 gain, but I get a special tax rate. So capital gains get a special tax rate if they're long-term. 
I pay ordinary tax if they're short term. Capital gain distributions are something that I didn't actually sell personally, but I held a mutual fund. And within that mutual fund, the managers sold. And so when the managers sell, the gain has to be pushed down to me, the consumer. And so I have to claim that. So there's capital gains and capital gain distributions. Either way, if they're held for under one year, they're taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And if they're held for more than one year, they're taxed at capital gains tax rates. There is something I want to mention about a wash sale in there. If you sell something and it's a loss and you don't wait long enough to buy it back, if it's this exact same security, then you don't get to take that loss on your tax return. You have to reabsorb it back into the security when you repurchased it. Okay, that gets us to other income on line eight. And that comes from schedule one, which is going to be a whole nother podcast. I'm going to focus on schedule one in the next podcast. But schedule one would move the income forward onto line eight. And then we're going to add up all of the things that I've mentioned above, come up with your total income. If there's any adjustments, which might be contributions that you made to an IRA, potentially other deductions, again, that's all coming from set line schedule one, line 26. So we'll take any of those things off on line uh, 10. And again, I'll talk more about that in the next podcast. Then we're going to subtract that number to come up with an adjusted gross income. So we're taking line 10 away from line 9 and we're coming up with adjusted gross income. Adjusted gross income is an important number because in many cases, um, they'll say, what's your MAGI, if you've ever heard that. MAGI, modified adjusted gross income. MAGI takes into consideration, adds back some of those things that I just mentioned you can get adjustments for. And so when you are getting certain benefits or when um, especially people that are over 65, if they're subject to IRMA, they're going to ask you what your modified adjusted gross income is. So we we need to first start with adjusted gross income and then add some items back in. After we know adjusted gross income, we then dig into the standard deduction and itemized deductions. So that's where I was talking earlier about did you claim single, head of household, married filing jointly, married filing separately? How did you claim? Because you can either take the standard deduction or if you have enough of mortgage tax, excuse me, mortgage interest, taxes, donations, maybe you can make a standard or an itemized deduction. So it just depends, but whatever you come up with, you're going to subtract that number off from your adjusted gross income. And if you had any qualified business income deduction, then you could subtract it further off from the adjusted gross income. Qualified business income will be talked about in the fifth episode when we're start when we talk about business tax, the tax returns of businesses. Okay, so then we add all those items up, and that's where on line 15 they're going to come up with your taxable income. So that is the end of page one where we where, where we will end this podcast today is that we've calculated your taxable income. Now what? We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it's been a hoot listening to me talk about the front side of page one of your tax return. Don't forget to visit uh, our recommendation of Pudding River. And as always, please feel free to share this this podcast with anybody that might be interested in learning more about taxes. Oof. 
I know it's tough. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed it. Please like us so that more people like you can find us on iTunes and be able to learn more about their finances. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.